Happy Monday. Welcome to Couch Potato Diary, everyone. I am Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today for the download and for listening. Uh, Please remember to rate and review and subscribe. If you have any thoughts on the show, send them my way. Twitter and Instagram, I am primetimeklein, twitch.tv slash primetimepk, or you can email the show couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. The music you are listening to from Waste to Talent, find them on Instagram at Waste to Talent with X is where the A's would be, and check out their new stuff out now. Busy show. Busy, busy, busy show today. We're going to talk some NBA Finals. The NHL is going crazy this week. Also, finally had an opportunity to chat with a couple members of the Okotoks Dogs, so that'll be at the tail end of the podcast. And Tim Leeper from the San Francisco Giants and Team Canada Baseball, as well as a former first base coach for the Toronto Blue Jays, will be on the show as well. So a lot of baseball in the back half, uh, and we'll close things out with today's ticket. But I want to start in the NBA Finals, as the Milwaukee Bucks are now a win away from an NBA championship, their first in 50 seasons, and I thought if I was saying that, it meant Giannis has gone crazy. Now, Giannis has gone crazy while Middleton has been excellent, and Drew Holiday enters the group chat the other night with one of the plays of the NBA Finals, with the steal late on Devin Booker, and then the alley-oop to to Giannis to, to close things out. That is finally what the Bucks were looking for from Drew Holiday, and they end up getting it, and that's fantastic. And if all three of those guys are going to be playing at the peak of their powers, this is a difficult team to beat. The problem has been throughout the playoffs that you, with two of the guys, you never know what you are going to get. Giannis, you have a pretty good idea that this guy is quite good at the sport of basketball, and, and he's going to end up being just fine. So, you're obviously not concerned there, but for Middleton and Holiday, they are very capable of doing the 4-for-21. Holiday's defense has never taken a break, and that's really where he has excelled in this series. Um, Chris Paul has been basically a non-factor in the back half of this. I think part of it is the struggles of... Chris Paul himself, and dealing with maybe some injuries, dealing with some fatigue issues, but I also think Drew Holiday has been a very big part of why Chris Paul is having his issues, and defensively, what he has been able to do on Chris Paul has been fantastic, and I think is the reason this series is going. What we saw in the early part of the playoffs, what happens to the Phoenix Suns if Chris Paul is not able to be a factor? It does not go very well. Chris Paul has not been a factor in the last three games, aside from the fourth quarter of the last one, and it has not gone very well. The Suns now, we talk about adjustments all the time. The Suns need to figure out a way to try to keep Holiday off of Paul as much as possible or get someone else going, whether it is a Cam Johnson, whether it is DeAndre Ayton kind of getting back to where he was earlier in these playoffs because Booker has been excellent. And it is very clear now who's winning the finals MVP if either side wins. It's either Giannis or it's Booker Um, because Booker's been... Just taking a, another step. That that last turnover, that's a tough one, but that, that's just a play that doesn't usually happen to him. So it, it's tough to get too worked up about things from a, a Booker perspective. But I actually think for Phoenix, there's reason for optimism here. You, you look at Game 5. Obviously it was at home, so that's not great. You're going to Milwaukee now. You have to assume Connaughton's not going to be amazing forever. And you also, like, it's it's rare that those three guys are just superheroes all night, right? Like that one of them generally has an off night and they needed all three of them to beat you. And you, you really only had Booker for most of that game. So it it does really feel like that was the best Milwaukee has to offer. And the Phoenix Suns were one amazing play from, um, from kind of stealing that game away. And so I, I, I still, I have confidence that Phoenix gets it done. I still think this is a series that is going seven, but for the Milwaukee Bucks now, this really is an opportunity for three guys to level up. Like, Drew Holiday, we've all known, very good player. Not a superstar, and this doesn't put him in that category. But now, you look at it, and this is a guy who can play at a high level and be one of your top players on a championship team, potentially. Middleton has always been inconsistent, but when he's good, he's really good. And now we've seen, oh, this is a guy who, when he is at his best, he can close out playoff games. So that, again, is a leveling up for Chris Middleton. And Giannis, it's tough to level up from two-time MVP. But it did kind of seem like, yeah, two-time MVP, but skill set is so limited that you can't really win the championship with him. 
And now you're seeing that that is an inaccurate statement. So the, the Milwaukee Bucks also, uh, I don't think he will get much of the credit, but um, and especially like I, I was calling for Budenholzer to be fired. I, I was asking if they could do it mid-series, but I, I do think this would move him up in the the, the coaching tiers as well. For, like I said, for Phoenix, it's not done. I, I I like the Suns in this game. I haven't looked at what the line is going into to Tuesday. I kind of only take things one day at a time, and that's that is a personal weakness of mine. I need to look in advance, look forward for potential value there. But nonetheless, um, I like the Phoenix Suns coming up in Game 6. The NHL is having a bananas week as you have the um, expansion draft coming up on Wednesday, the draft draft coming up on Friday, and free agency is coming up next week. It is going to be a wild and crazy time in the NHL. Um, We'll get to the expansion draft in a moment. I do just quickly want to go over uh, Barkley Goodrow is apparently getting a contract from the New York Rangers after they acquire his negotiating rights. Uh, according to Frank Saravelli, formerly of TSN, now of Daily Faceoff, um, he tweeted out, hearing Rangers have made significant progress with newly acquired forward Barkley Goodrow, not finalized. Expectation is Goodrow will be a blue shirt once the signing moratorium is lifted with a six-year deal in 3.6 AAV. Which is far too much. Um, and look, Berkeley Goodrow was a key piece of a championship winning team. And for that, the Tampa Bay Lightning thank him. And now apparently for that, he thanks the Tampa Bay Lightning because holy shit. Um, and this is also, when you see the Rangers moving in the direction that they did, getting rid of everyone, and, oh, well, we need to add toughness. We need to... This is the type of dumb shit that you do. One of the reasons Berkeley Goodrow is so effective in his role is that you don't pay him a lot, but he ends up being like a a, a serviceable guy. Like he he ends up contributing to winning, not in the main pay him big dollars ways, but in the you are a depth player for us, you provide this energy, that's awesome. Now, it is tough to quantify that, although with contracts you kind of have to. And 3.6 is just, it's too much money for what Goodrow does. And we're going to see this a couple of times this offseason with Blake Coleman and with Zach Hyman. Both of those guys contribute to winning. No questions asked. Contribute to winning. But they do not contribute to winning to the tune of what they are going to be paid. They are they are good role players that, if you get them on good contracts can be the difference between championship teams and not. The problem is, when you overpay for those sorts of things, it ties up your cap. The only way to really get value out of guys like Barkley Goodrow is kind of... is A, don't put them on long-term deals, because sometimes those don't end up working out. And also, like, they just... they, they can't take up too much of your cap, because what they do is only kind of a... on the peripherals thing, instead of a actually dragging a team to victory. So, while I like... This is always a tough spot, because A, I like the Rangers a lot. Um, B, I like Barkley Goodrow a lot. But C, I dislike this contract a lot. Now getting into the expansion draft, as the protected lists and subsequently the unprotected lists were released this week. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Um, We have a lot on the show today and not a lot, quite frankly, for Wednesday. So I I thought the the full mock draft thing would come out on Wednesday. And this one, just want to go through some of the teams that I found a little bit interesting and a little bit tricky to do. There were a few teams that I found tricky because they suck and there's not a lot there. Uh, I would say Buffalo was certainly one of them. And and honestly, I don't think they suck as a team, but depth is not a a strength of the Edmonton Oilers. And so it was really tough to find Edmonton Oilers that I liked on this. Um, I I said it, I'm on the um, double-digit hockey show this week, and I said there, I just left their pick to the end. I I filled out the rest of my roster and said, okay, what do I need? I need a forward? All right, Dominic Cahoon, welcome to the team. That's basically what it was. But they they were a, a bit of a tricky one. Boston was difficult as well as I went through it. It came down to to Connor Clifton or to Lozon. And 
I, I, I kind of view them in a similar spot. I ended up going with Lozon because he was a bit of a cheaper option. And as I went to the end, dollars were a little bit difficult to come by. So I, I thought that was an easy place to kind of save some money. The Chicago one as well. I, I kind of, I wanted to take a, a bit of a risk. Not really a risk. Uh, I'm doing a mock draft and a hockey thing. That's not risky. But I, I wanted to maybe take a bit of a gamble on a uh, Brett Connolly. But... At the dollar figure that he was at, that wasn't one I could really afford, so I went Adam Gaudet with that one. One of the things, and again, I talk about this with John on the, the Double Digit Hockey Show, one of the things that I do not like is the selection of unrestricted free agents. Because if you're going to sign them, sign them. Get someone back. Like, Gabe Landeskog is a, a popular one in this. I, personally, from Colorado, took Jonas Donskoy. I, I think he, he is someone who drives possession very well, and he's just someone who I've liked talent-wise for a while. Sign, or get him, and then sign Gabe Landeskog on July 28th. That's, to me, that's the move. Um, so I, I only went with one unrestricted free agent. That was Chris Drieger out of Florida. Um, just going through a couple of the other ones. Like, the Kings were a little bit tricky. Carolina was tough. Because, A, you could just go with the Dougie Hamilton one if you want to bring in UFAs. B, you could um, go with Nino Niederreiter, who I have always, always liked. There were a few forwards on on Carolina that I, I liked, but I thought this was kind of a move for the future with a, a Jake Bean. He was someone who I thought was... It made things a little bit tricky there. Toronto was tricky. Philadelphia was an interesting one as well. Like you have a couple of high-paid forwards in Voracek and in JVR. I went defenseman with Shane Gostisbehere. I know he's not the guy he used to be, but he is still quite good. So I thought that was interesting um, as well. Philadelphia, I think, was a team that was tricky. Nashville, they tempt you with a couple of the higher-end guys with Duchesne and Johansson. It's not tempting for me. I I am so far out on both of those guys, and I am so far in on Kale Yarncroft that that one was actually an easy pick for me, but I can see that being a team that Seattle gets hung up on. There were a few, and obviously, like, the key decisions in this whole thing. What do you do with some of the the big-priced but pretty good talent guys that are available, right? Like a Vlad Tarasenko. The injury concern was too much for me to go with Tarasenko on this one. Mark Giordano is the most expensive defenseman who's reasonably available. I do, I do think they go with him. I like Oliver Shillington is fine, but I don't think it's worth not taking Mark Giordano over. And I actually think this benefits the Flames as well um, because they get some extra money to, to make some changes with. And it was clear changes need to be made in Calgary. So I, I think losing Geo actually ends up benefiting the, the Calgary Flames in the long run, depending on what they're able to do with that extra cap space. But I, I didn't think that was much of a decision. And then the Carey Price debate is going to rage on for ever and ever and ever. I, as of right now, and I've gone back and forth on it, but as of right now, I am for Seattle drafting Carey Price. And it's not just from a talent or from a, a chaos standpoint. It's from a talent standpoint. This is one of the best goalies in the league. And I understand the cap hit is huge. Did y'all not see Andrew Ladd just got traded? He did nothing. And his cap hit was huge. This is a guy who carried a team to the Stanley Cup final. And I get he is old and there is an injury issue now. But I would still rather have that guy in the postseason for the next few years. And if he's bad in a couple of years, pile up a couple of draft picks and get rid of him. Um, but I, I just think that the reward far outweighs the risk when it comes to, to bringing in Carey Price. And you look at Marc-Andre Fleury, he just won a Vezina at 36 years old. It happens. It, it, it felt like Marc-Andre Fleury was basically done in Pittsburgh. And... Now, I, I would say the Penguins very clearly made a mistake in letting him go. Uh, this one's definitely hindsight. I thought it was the obvious move to make at the time. Um, but in hindsight, like that, that was a terrible decision, and he's making him pay for it. And now I, I think Seattle has an opportunity to do something similar with Carey Price. So a few interesting decisions for Seattle to make as they head into the expansion draft coming up this week. music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. You can find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be and find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. Three interviews for you guys today. We will start with Tim Leeper, former first base coach 
of the Toronto Blue Jays, currently with the San Francisco Giants. Had him on a bunch at 960 and love talking baseball with this guy. We went a little bit long, but it's a really fun conversation, I thought. So here is Blue Jay, a former Blue Jays first base coach, Tim Leeper. Very pleased to be joined by our next guest, currently with the San Francisco Giants, as well as a, a part of Baseball Canada, formerly of the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, and just all around fantastic baseball guy, Tim Leeper joining the show. Tim, how are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for coming on. Um, I, I had uh, I had a couple chances to uh, to interview you back at uh, at my old job and absolutely loved it. So had to continue it here. Um, just coming off, I'll, of... tone, I'll tone the swear words down on this this interview. I think I dropped the <laughs> s bomb when you when you were doing the last one. Uh, it's fine. I, I bring it out of people. Uh, but this one, you're allowed to swear however much you want. So it, it, it's all um, it's no holds barred on this one. Uh, but just coming off of the all-star break, I don't know what it was about this year's all-star break, but just seeing all of the young talent that is in major league baseball right now, whether it be Vlad Guerrero and all the different guys, the blue Jays have or Shohei Otani or Fernando Tatis jr. It just kind of feels like the sports in an awesome place right now. Um, that there isn't really a question, I guess, along with this, but just in terms of the health of the sport of baseball right now, specifically at major league baseball, how do you think we're doing right now? I think, it, it, I think there's a lot of things. That's a great question. There's so many things involved. You know, when I was growing up and, 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 and you know, guys of an older generation, uh, like you knew who the players were. You connected with the players. Like you never knew a president. You never knew who a GM was unless it was your hometown GM. And what I see in the last few years, I think you've gotten away from that. Like you, you know who the president of the Red Sox is. You know who the president of the Blue Jays is. You know, like, and that's not the fun stuff. Fun stuff is knowing who the players were. It was like, who was the guy that won 20 games? Who won the batting title? Right now, I can't tell you who won the batting title like the last few years. So to see a turn going to these guys that, like, uh, like you look at Otani, like, this is a once in a lifetime player that, like, a guy that can pitch, a guy that can hit and do all the things he does. The fact that I think the, general public is able to, to recognize players and, and, and know who they are more. I think that's great for the sport. So, I mean, getting away from the ma the math and the things and, and, and the things that are really important, but that really shouldn't be at the forefront of your game. I think, you know, connecting with players, I think that's the biggest thing. And I think you have guys you can connect with, whether it's, whether it's Otani, whether it's Vladimir Guerrero Jr., whether it's Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, I think that's a really good thing. Now I think, the adults need to kind of stay out of it and like just keep bringing these guys to the forefront and like keep the game the way it is. Uh, you know, don't get too, too crazy with it. Don't tinker with it too much. Don't make it gimmicky. And, and like, like the game always survives itself. And I think we're in a, in a place where it can actually turn around. Cause I think the game got to, has gotten to be a little stale, a little bit boring. I think some of the things we've done in the sport in terms of openers and things like that, we're seeing that like it's taking a real health toll on people. And I don't know if this is a good long-term thing. So I, I hopefully it's corrected for the better where it's a more watchable product. It moves along a little bit quicker, but I think the biggest thing is being able to connect with the players. And like when a guy like Vladimir Guerrero jr to Canadians and, and to all of baseball, but especially the Canadians to see a guy from Toronto and a, and a guy whose father who played for the Expos and, and people can resonate with. I think that's a really, really good thing. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the, the, the math in there. And I, I consider myself kind of a, a stats nerd. Like I, I do look at things like war and, and FIP and things like that. But I found there was a time a few years ago where I was becoming a bit snobby in it. And it was actually like I was having less fun watching them. And the, the time that I remember was Miguel Cabrera going for the, the triple crown. And all I could think of was RBIs are overrated. The triple crown is whatever. And then <laughs> it's over and it's like, I should have enjoyed that more like this. The, 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 now I'm going to be the one who swears this, this shit's supposed to be fun. Like this is, this is sports. This is supposed to be fun. And, and so I, I find sometimes there needs to be a balance where you can have the information. That's awesome, but don't let it take the joy away from you either. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a great point. And then again, like I said, we always, I, mean, I remember having lunch with uh, Dan Shulman one day and we were talking about that like, as a kid, like you knew who the batting, who won the batting title the last year? You know that you knew all these old. Who won the Cy Young? Who won this? All these things. And and now we now we sit there. It's like okay, who won it one year ago? Who won it two years ago? We we couldn't do it. So I think those things are good. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I remember having when Henry Aaron was going for the uh, home run record and to beat Babe Ruth, and I had a poster in my garage where we, we were charting from seven hundred to like seven fifteen. We were charting the home run and the date and the things like that. And that was. The reason I got into baseball, I love watching it for those type of things. And it you know, wasn't about like, hey, what prospects we had. Like I was, you were focused on the big league team. You were focused on winning. 
and you want to go out and enjoy and watch the games. And I said, like, really connect with the players. And then I think that's a really, really good thing for the sport. Uh, you mentioned a lot of people connecting with Vlad Guerrero Jr. Um, watching from afar, like this, something has obviously clicked because this is now the guy who a lot of people thought the Blue Jays were going to be getting a, a couple of years ago. Just from watching him from a distance, has there been something in his approach that's changed that has turned him into the the kind of the baseball monster we all thought he would be? You know, having having been there and and knowing all the parties involved and knowing him a little bit, um, I, I, the biggest thing, and I said this on on Toronto you know, radio. A little bit. I did predict that he was going to be the MVP of the American League. I do want to say that I, he's probably not going to be because Otani's going to be. But everyone kind of laughed me out of the room uh, when I did. But I, one thing is, I think when when he came up, we we were a team, and I was a part of that. We 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 were obviously you know on the way out, and and we weren't a very good team. And so the the brightest spot we had in order to like even marvel the team was was a minor league player. And so this guy obviously was 19 years old at the time. He was tearing his way up through the minor leagues. And for the organization, they, they really went out of the way, like, hey, we're doing this with this guy. We're doing this for this guy. We're, we're making him eat this. We got him a dietitian. We're doing all these great workouts with him where, like, none of it was on his own. And so even when he got to the big leagues, he, he had, they carried, a, like, an organizational entourage with him. And he was put in a situation as a 20-year-old kid where he was expected to, like, carry the franchise. And then he had to live up to the expectations that were thrust upon him before he even got to the big leagues. And the big leagues is really hard. I don't care how good you are. Like the big leagues, when you first get there, there's an adjustment. I mean, Mike Trout got up, was up and then got sent down before he came back and became Mike Trout. So I think that was one thing. And, and trying to micromanage a human being, I think every young kid is going to rebel. And he may say the right things and do and, and like you think he's doing the right thing. But like nobody wants to be told what to do or be, be managed like 24 hours a day. And I think the fact that, you know, he he – he had that. He was actually really good his rookie year. They didn't meet the expectations, I think, which were way too lofty, but he was still pretty good his rookie year. Obviously, with, with the COVID year, he came back after the break. He was heavy, but and he wasn't as good. But if you look at, like, towards the end of the COVID year, he was really, really good. Like, he was mm-hmm. playing himself into shape. He was getting the things. He was, he was much improved. If that had been a 160-game season, no telling what he did. But I think it was a case for – people got sick of them. Like, like I think management is like, man, they, they got frustrated with them, uh, you know, and they kind of backed off them a lot. And I, I think the bigger thing was like, he want, he sets a high standard for himself. He's a really, he's a, as you can see, he's a great player. And I think he didn't want to let down his teammates. He, he wanted to be, he wanted to be great. He wanted to be one of the best. And if you, and I think when you're a guy from the Dominican Republic or any country, you also compete with your guys in your country. And I've, I've been, a, I've coached a lot in Dominican, I've been down there a lot and there's a pride that you want to be the best from, from where you're from. And so when you got Fernando Titsis Jr. And you have Ronald Acuna and you, you got Soto, you got all these really great players. Like there's a little bit of, and you can watch them during the all-star game and these guys get along. They're great, but they're competitive with each other. And it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just, it was the perfect storm of him being who he is and wanting to be great, him making decisions on his own, forcing himself to do these things because of what he ultimately wanted to be. And I, and I think people just kind of micromanaging him less. I think it just got him back to where he was as this 19 year old kid, just absolutely crushing his way through the minor leagues. And if you watch him right now, like he's making major league baseball, like it's, it, it looks easy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but you know, he's, he's, he's done it all, a lot of it on his own. He's obviously had help and all these things that, you know, went into this process, probably have a little bit of help for him. But I think just letting the guy be and letting the major league baseball players who are great are super competitive human beings. They don't need people to motivate or and tell them what to do. They want to do it because they want to do it. And I think that's what he's doing right now. One of the, the kind of theories I had, and, and by all means, if I'm way off on this, tell me, but it, it almost felt like his eye at the plate was too good. And with two strikes, you would take a pitch that he thought would be a ball and the umpire would call it a strike. And it's like, I understand you didn't think it was a strike, but th- this is not a democracy. Uh, it, it's kind of up to the guy back there. And that would seem to fluster him. And it kind of reminded me of a guy that, that you had with Jose Bautista, where sometimes it felt like well, if, <laughs> if it was a strike, I would have swung like, and sometimes umpires can be a little bit off on that. Sometimes am I, am I overanalyzing that too much? Or do you think there was something to that? No, that's a great tie in with Batista too. And I never thought if someone from the Guerrero family would be worried about strike zones either, <laughs> <laughs> but, but Hey, what Batista was, and it, that's so great to talk about him. 
there was one thing because I was with him at three different organizations, and I, and I can remember him always, always having a great knowledge of the strike zone. And he would get like three one pitches, and he just couldn't do anything with them. And so he he eventually, when he got to Toronto, he he learned how to he he got to the counts. He always got to when he was either was with Baltimore, or especially with Pittsburgh. I mean, then he was able to start like like taking advantage of these things. So it was always funny. I had this conversation with the umpires when Jose would complain about a strike zone. And they would they would like make their comments and all the times I would always ask the umpire, is he wrong? Like, is he wrong? Like, are those balls that he's bitching about are they are they strikes or are they balls? I said, so you can not like the way he deals with things. I totally can understand that. But I also like you guys got to check yourselves a little bit, see if you're right. And you know what? More times, a lot more uh, times uh, than not, uh, Jose was right about a strike zone. And I think I think great hitters are great solely because of the. Uh, the the pitches that they swing at like like it's hard to be a, like a great hitter and, and and obviously Vladdy's dad was was one of them that, that just go all over the zone but like when you can when you can shrink your zone to balls that you know that you can command and that you can drive and you have that knowledge of the strike zone that's what makes players great so when you take that away from you you can't help as a player uh but be pissed about it so um i think you're right on with that and like how you how are you let it affect your rest of your bats like obviously that plays a big part in it right but so i i think that that's the thing that you have to balance when you're a guy when you're blessed with the gift of a knowledge of the strike zone like these guys are like like it's funny it's just how you deal with the fact that you're going to get some bad calls on it's how you affect you deal with it and do you let it affect the rest of your bat Looking at the, the Blue Jays as a whole, um, the, the, this year, obviously it's been a little bit up and down that they've had some bullpen issues and stuff, but just watching the All-Star game and seeing the four All-Stars that they have FaceTiming with, with Lourdes Goriel and they're talking about George Springer, like there, there seems to be a chemistry this year with this team that is a little bit different from some years past. How important is that? Because I think a lot of people just assume, just get as many talented people as you can and the, the rest will fall into place. And talent is important for sure. But how important is that locker room chemistry? It's it's it, it plays a huge part. I mean, obviously you got to be talented, but like chemistry is everything. And then, you know, does winning develop chemistry or does chemistry develop winning? And I think it's the problem a little bit of both it's awesome that they're calling uh, Guriel on the bench they're thinking that, that's really th- those are things like really good teams do and I, I got a chance to be a part of you know some really good teams while, while I was in Toronto yeah. and we, we had that chemistry like and, and again it's just something you have or something you don't but we, when you're spending eight months with with somebody at, at that level with the amount of pressure and and just doing it day after day um, when you get along in the club and it's not always necessarily getting along it's even the fights that are great because because if you fight, at least that means you're, like you're not like like you care, right? <laughs> I always I always I always thought that like the one thing indifference is the thing that kills a team. Um, so sometimes the fighting is good, but when you got guys that are close and you have great chemistry like that, yeah, you definitely need it. And these guys are all pulling on the same end of the rope for sure. I mean, they have some holes, and they've been able. I know they're a little bit out of a playoff spot. They're a little bit under. They're just barely over 500 in a really good division. But if you look at the adversity this team's had to go through this year, especially with the relief pitching, you know, you know, the starters have been up and down. They've had some injuries uh, to be where they are, like in really, really good striking distance of, of where they need to be. That says a lot about about what's been going on in that clubhouse right there. Speaking of clubhouse dynamics, I know I'm bouncing around a little bit, but that that 2015 team, like you said, you've been on some you were on some good teams in Toronto. That would certainly be one of them. It seemed like a lot of big personalities on the team. Like we already talked about (laughs) Jose. Um, Josh Donaldson does not strike me as someone who would be shy in a locker room. Um, Russell Martin, a big personality in a different way. How? But to your point, it seemed like everyone was pulling in the right direction. Like, I don't know how you got to the pole, but wherever you got there from, you're going in in that direction. What was that like? locker room like in 2015 you know it started in the offseason it started with bringing in russ who was the guy that had been the playoffs every single year he's ever played he's a guy that catches a lot and 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 has just a presence about him that makes you want to be better he doesn't accept mediocrity and he fully expects to go to the playoffs that elevated our game we brought in an mvp um who was not shy i don't know if you remember that year we were playing i don't know we were at home i don't know who we were playing but it was he said, this is the, the, the get it. This is not the tri-league. This is the get it done league. <laughs> that, that was a great, it was, it was a statement. It changed things. Right. Mm-hmm. So it elevated our game. It's like, okay, okay. That's, I remember seeing it at night and going to bed. I'm like, okay, that's going to piss people off tomorrow. And, <laughs> but, but at the same time, he was dead. Right. And, you know, there was guys in our team that had been in, been there for a while 
and needed to elevate their games. And I think even though they were probably mad at what he said, that actually it actually probably lit a fire under us. And we still weren't quite there, although we were significantly better. But I think I was talking about this last night on the bench in one of our in one of our games here. Like when when the we were we were good and we were tight, but we did have holes. We especially had holes defensively. But like I think when we brought in Tulowitzki, um, like there was an immediate because we didn't know a lot about him. A lot of guys didn't really know him, but like there was an air about him where it's like, okay, we got to be better because this guy's really good. And it was, it wasn't a thing that was said. It was just kind of a feeling. And even as a coach, like, man, I got to coach better, man. Like Tulo's here. <laughs> and because, because it's just the way he approached the game, the way he approached his work, and the way he expected to win. And it was bringing in him. It was bringing in David Price, who was always winning. And it was always, and it was bringing these guys that were motivated, who were really good and we were already getting better, but these, these extra pieces really added the final touch to it. And I, I don't know if you remember, we had like 43 and 18 down the stretch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's basically winning every day in major league baseball for two months. So when you're doing those things, like the chemistry was just there. It's funny. I can remember losing the game and we just knew we weren't going to lose two in a row. Like it, it was, just, <laughs> it was just a given. And I think even when we lost in the playoffs, that team's like, okay, well, we, let's play tomorrow. We'll, we'll just win tomorrow. Uh, so it was, it was, it was great. And it just kind of developed and having the big personalities is it's really challenging. It's really challenging if you're not a great team. And, but like, yeah, that's, that's where Gibby was really good. Cause, cause he never like tried to like reel those guys in. He let them be exactly who they needed to be. There was times that they needed to, Hey, like clean it up a little bit, but it was quiet. It was good. And I mean, sometimes having those big personalities like that can be a real blessing, but if it's not managed right, it can be a real distraction too. I do remember that that run you guys went on after that because I like I, I have been a, a lifelong Blue Jays fan um, and I was three when Joe Carter hit that home run so it, it <laughs> was a it, it was a bit of a challenging time after that up until then and it just I, I remember thinking at one point like I've never really even watched this team in a playoff race like they would be four back with eight to play and three against the Yankees so maybe and then they get swept and that would be that <laughs> um, but I remember even after that season I was like I still haven't really watched a playoff series or a playoff like chase because th this team, they were 500 for a bit. Then they go out and acquire Tulowitzki, which I, I don't think people give enough credit for and, and David Price and, and Ben Revere as well. And then they just didn't lose again. So it was like, they were a few back of the Yankees and then you guys finished like 10 up and, and it was just, it was an unbelievable run. And, and like you said, it sounds like there was that confidence of, Oh, we're just not going to lose today. Yeah, it absolutely was. And it wasn't easy, man. Even the Yankees weren't good that year, but they played us tough. But we had a we had a day night doubleheader. I don't know if we I guess we played four games in three days. It might have even been five, but I think we played four. And and I remember we had a day night doubleheader in Yankee Stadium on a Saturday night, on a Saturday, Saturday day, Saturday night, and we swept them. And that was like the, the big turning point for us. I'm not sure if that was early August or maybe like mid-August. We went to Atlanta after that. I remember it was right before. JD, I think, got his 40th home run. He had 39 home runs when we left. Uh, he got his 40th in Atlanta. But that was that was like the big turning point for us. And it was like once we we hit that spot, and it was a grind to get there. It's like, and we got through Atlanta. Like we, I think we won two out of three there. And uh, it was like we didn't look back. And it was like we just really hit our stride and and like legit. Like there was no panic. There was no. It was like we're coming to the field today. We're going to win and then we're going to play the next day and, and win again. And like, I'm so blessed to go through something like that. And for me, like, I'm, I'm basically a spectator for those things, but to watch those guys <laughs> do it, they're like the best players in the world at, on that stage at, at the most important time of the year. Like, wow, that's, that's electric. And it's something that, that I'm so, so lucky I got, I got to see every single day. Um, and, and we're coming up on the, the trade deadline, which was, again, as we mentioned, an important time for that Blue Jays team with David Price, um, the, the Tulowitzki thing, because I think a lot of people forget, like Jose Reyes, say what you will about him uh, as a player up until that point, but he was fighting it defensively. And then Tulo just to, to kind of shore that up. But from just an organizational standpoint, we hear often about the confidence it brings into an organization that, hey, no, they know we're doing well. They know we can win this. So they've gone out and added. Just how, how much of a boost is that to, to get that kind of nod of approval from up on high that, no, we're, we're, we're going to go for this now? It's a tough balancing act for the front office. That's for sure. In 14, we were really good. We were, we were in first place for a good part of the first half. And it was kind of slipping away and we didn't do anything, which, which was probably absolutely the right move. Like we didn't really have a closer at the time. There's a lot of pieces we needed to add. And there's some similarities, I think, between, I think this, this team was better offense. I don't even know that, but we were a good offensive club in 14 too, but like it, maybe it wasn't the right time, but I think that that's kind of, and so when we didn't do anything, 
it, it was kind of like a downer and it wasn't the right move. But then 15, obviously, <laughs> shoot, we were, we were all in, uh, <laughs> you know, it wasn't just, even, it was, I like, it was Cliff Pennington and, and Mark Lowe and, 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 and LaTroy Hawkins. And you know, we did so much as well as the other guys, but like, so I, I think this is, this is a big part for them. There's some holes. There's definitely some holes that, that the same things that you worried about this team at the beginning of the season are kind of the same things. Now I think the starting pitching is probably better than they thought it was. The relief pitching is really not as good as they thought it was, but there's still some holes defensively. And then this is something you're going to have to make tough decisions because there's guys that are really great offensive players who aren't really great defensively. So in order to be that championship caliber club that you want, you kind of want to be, you definitely got to want to be able to catch the ball to take care of your pitching staff a little bit more. So I think with this front office, it's interesting because if, I don't know what they're thinking. If like if next year's your window or this year's your window. And and I mean you can debate this all day. I don't for me, I get the feeling that they don't really feel like this is their time. They hope it is, they want it to be. They'll probably do some things to to tighten things up because it's available. But is it that all-in moment for him? For him, I really I really don't know. And it's gonna be the thing that's kind of like like for their legacy. This is gonna be how they manage the next two years is gonna be the biggest thing. So I think if there's every year that you can overcome like some pitching deficiencies and some defensive uh, deficiencies, I think this is, this is kind of the year just because there's so many injuries with the pitching staff. The fact they took the sticky stuff away from the pitchers and maybe not the number one guys are, are not number one guys anymore. And I think the one thing the blue Jays do have, they have an offense that can put a lot of runs on the board and they have an offense that can score a lot of runs and, and, right. and, and beat the best pitchers in, in the game. So I think that's what they got to balance. If, if I had my guess, and this is just me guessing, I think they'll do stuff just to kind of plug holes right now and see if it works where I think next year will kind of be their all in year. But I'd really like, I, it might be something like, I talked about Nelson Cruz last week. That might be something that, that really works. Cause you might, Hey, maybe you, this is the year you do win playoff game. Lineup and, you know, Ryu's always going to keep you in there. So I don't know what the answer is right now. I don't know what they're thinking, but if I, if I had my guesses, I think that would kind of be it, but it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. And I think the last piece of that is too, you have to send this team the right message. And, you know, like right. Simeon's there too. And like, you don't know if you're going to have Simeon next year. So like these windows are kind of, and they shut really quick. Um, so like, there's a lot, I mean, this is a big decision on how far they want to go, how many prospects they want to trade to get the pieces that they want. Uh, the, the organization you're with now, the San Francisco Giants, uh, I'm sure in the organization, this isn't a surprise, but outside, uh, the, the Giants are one of the surprises in baseball this year, uh, especially with the how top-heavy that division can be with the Dodgers and the Padres. What, this is a weird question, but what's been going so well for, for the Giants this year that, that has uh, you guys right in the mix? They've, guys have bought into what – obviously, we're doing – doing things differently than a lot of teams. Like, like we make moves early in the game to try to maximize matchups early when we get to the seventh, eighth, ninth inning, we don't have a lot of moves to make. Um, but you know, in baseball, you don't, you don't win games really in the eighth and ninth inning against, against good relief pitchers. So like they're, they're distancing themselves early in games. Uh, the one thing that they're doing really well is they're beating up on the teams that they're supposed to beat up on. I mean, you're obviously the Dodgers and Padres are going to play their best baseball coming up, or, or at least you think they would, because just because they're, immensely talented teams and the, and the Padres are all in and they may even go more all in when this trade deadline happens, but what we're beating the teams that we're supposed to beat. And I think that that's the biggest thing. You, there's no like easy series. They, they've, I think they've played them close to the Dodgers. Have, I think have gotten the best of us a little bit and, and, and we've kind of held our own with, with the Padres, but in terms of like, if you play the, if you play the pirates or you play the reds or you play the Rockies, you play the, the diamondbacks when you're in division, like they're owning those games. And so that's that's a good thing, and that's the sign of a good team too. Like like winning the ones you want. You, they're they're bringing it every day. And I think the other thing is is a really when you're veteran players, which we have, we with Longoria, with Crawford, with Posey, uh, and these guys having good years. When 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 your older established players are carrying your team or are playing a big part of the team, and you have the, the the youth as well, I think this is such a great combination. But there's all, there's a calming presence to having veteran players. And I know a lot of teams are IA at 30 years old, you get hurt and you know, these guys aren't great anymore, but when you find a way to keep those guys on the field and make them the, the most integral part of your team, that's when you're really, really healthy. And I think, you know, in terms of like strength conditioning and, and things of that nature, when you, when you, someone comes in and is able to keep 
28 to 32 year old players on the field, like you have a real calming presence and then the teams that can keep those guys out there more, the teams are going to have the competitive advantage for sure. And I think those are all the things that we're doing right now. Uh, a couple more for you here on um, Canadian baseball. The, the the Olympic qualifiers, obviously, not not going the way you guys wanted to, but those the, those uh, I think it was like the, the last chance or something like that out in Florida. That atmosphere is not something we've seen in a couple of years with, with everything that's been going on. What was just all of that like to be a part of? It's great, and you know, I got a chance to go to the Olympics in two thousand four when I first started with the Baseball Canada program, and and. Regardless of what, you know, it's not the, it's not the big league guys. It is for Japan. It is for Korea, but like, there's something really, I mean, it's the Olympic games going to the Olympics is really special playing anytime with the name of your country across your chest is, is really special. Um, with COVID, we weren't able to get a lot of the players that are playing the minor leagues right now because of most of our guys, two things. A lot of our guys have just cruised through the minor leagues and, I've, I've gotten to the big leagues, like the Quantrals and then the Nailers and, and the, and people like that. Um, and then, you know, getting the guys that were in the minor leagues who missed a year with their organizations and wanted to like really like getting good with the organizations. We couldn't get a lot of those guys. So the guys that came out, we had a, we had a good blend of veteran guys and a few affiliated guys. And, and we knew what we were after. I mean, these guys have all been a part of baseball Canada their whole lives, whether it's coming up to the junior program or whether it be a Pan Am games or things like that. And even though maybe on paper we weren't as good as other teams, like we knew, we know how to play and it was great, but we also knew we had to be almost perfect to get it done. And uh, it was just intense. It was great. I mean, we played for a team that didn't get through the tournament, man, we played as good as we possibly could. I mean, it was hard. It was hard going three days in a row in a heat for with a bunch of guys that truly hadn't been playing a season so far where when you're playing Dominican, they had a bunch of minor league guys that like are 50 games into their season. Um, it was, it was a challenge, but like we, we had that Cuba game. We needed to beat them. We, we went out and we beat them. It was a great atmosphere. It was, it was awesome being in a park because at the time, you know, I hadn't played in front of fans for about two years. And, you know, we were with 5,000 Cubans. It was basically like playing a game in Havana <laughs> uh, down in St. Lucie, Florida. And we, we played such a great game. We won. And if we had won the last game against Dominican, we would have gone to a last chance tournament down in Mexico and, and we had the lead going into the eighth inning, uh, but we couldn't hold it. But I tell you what, I, it's, it stinks. And most people in Canada, they get a chance to see it. Uh, you know, and, and obviously you want to get your team to the Olympics, but, but the way we played and the way, you know, the way the Canadian guys play baseball together is always really, really special. And this was no difference. It's just a shame we didn't get to where we wanted to go because, you know, just to get the Olympics, it's, it's great for your program. It's great exposure. It's probably great financially for, for all the things that, you know, Greg Hamilton does and, and, and for the junior program to help keep getting us better and better. Um, but at the same time, man, we, we, we played as good as we could and the guys, the guys busted their tail and they left it all out there. In terms of the, the health of the sport in this country right now, I guess we'll, we'll kind of start and end with the, the health of baseball. But now specifically in Canada, um, you, you are seeing it at the highest level here for, for this country. Um, how, how are we doing? Because it seems like like I'm doing, I mentioned before, doing Okotoks Dogs games, which for people who don't know, is collegiate level baseball players come here once their college season is done to kind of keep honing their skills uh, before it gets a little bit too brisk to do that out here. And this year with everything going on, it's all just kids from Canada and specifically Western Canada and seeing a lot of committed to, to Oregon state committed to Oregon. There's one kid 15 yeah. years old is already committed to, to Tennessee. I couldn't even commit to a video game at that point, but <laughs> um, it, it feels, it, it feels like from that point of view, we're doing something right. So how, how is baseball kind of growing in this country right now from your perspective? I think the things you just said are, are like amazing and, and it, and it's that that's where it's going. Just it, the growth of the game has been great. The fact that it's only Canadians up right now, I think it's only going to make it better. Uh, I think guys are driven. It's funny because having been in both parts of the of Canadian baseball, which are really great was uh, you know, being a part of the other national team program, being part of the blue Jays. And I think in a lot of ways they kind of fuel off each other. So I think when the blue Jays aren't good, I don't think kids are playing as baseball as much because people aren't watching games, but when the blue Jays are good, people are watching games. I think that that spurns kids into playing. So um, it's, it, it, I think the, the game's really healthy. There's a ton of kids that are playing division one baseball, or even just going to universities in the States. And if you look, I think we had 17 Canadian born players that were drafted. There's 20 rounds in the draft this year. And, and we had 17 Canadian players drafted, which is for the amount of the size of our country, the size the amount of kids that are playing baseball, I think that's really good. And a lot of these guys were, were high around picks. So I think it's good. We can never have enough. Um, 
and and I, I just think it's healthy, it's good. Some of the programs that have, like your program there is awesome. And there's great programs all across the country. Uh, you know, Vauxhall Academy, uh, all the places out West, the, the ABC in Montreal, like guys are playing and, and, and they're getting a lot better. And, you know, I, I just think it's good. And the one thing about Canadian players, when they go to the uh, United States and they go to university and they start to play every day, I think because it's hard to play and they don't get to play so all the time in the winter months, they really excel when they get a chance to get on the field every day and they bloom later than the rest of the guys. But when they bloom late, like it's a real lasting thing where as opposed to these kids in the U S that, that play in when they're eight years old and playing travel ball all the time, I think the Canadian kids actually really have advantage because they probably play other sports. And plus you also have to really love the game in order to like suffer through like the minus 20 days and, <laughs> and go to gym and like hit baseball. So I think it's good. I think it's only getting better. We have a great national team program. I know we talk about Greg Hamilton, who runs the, the Baseball Canada. The things he's done for players in this country and the amount of exposure they get to the pro game, to universities, uh, how they run the junior national program. It's just, it's just, it's so good and so healthy. And you see it, you see it with, with the Cal Quantos and the Josh Naylor's who unfortunately got hurt. Um, you know, even going back to Joey Votto and, and, and Justin Morno and these guys, like, like it's a big family and the guys play good, play well, they play hard. And uh, it's just, it's something special to be a part of. And I, and I, and I get, I think we keep getting better and better. Tim, this was awesome, man. Thank you so much for doing this today. Uh, you were extremely generous with your time. So I'm sorry I kept you long, uh, but uh, it was, it was too much fun. Thank you for this. And uh, I, I'm sure I'll be bothering you again soon. Uh, no problem. I always enjoy it. Thanks, Pete. I really appreciate talking to you. Thank you very much to Tim for that. Um, also this week, finally had a chance to catch up with a couple of members of the Okotoks Dogs. I've been doing Okotoks Dogs games all season long, uh, dogsbaseball.ca and uh, Do Okotoks Dogs Academy on YouTube. Um, it's been some very good baseball. And if you are unfamiliar and you live in the Calgary Okotokian era, uh, area, it is certainly worth checking out. It's all college-level baseball kids coming to continue their season after their college seasons have been closed out. And it's not just, like, guys that, oh, well, yeah, he, he plays at the college in my hometown. Like, these are guys from Oregon State and from Tennessee and from Texas and in Canada at UBC and a couple of Calgary Dinos as well. So there are... Uh, obviously varying levels of skill, but it's it's very, very good baseball, so I recommend checking it out. Um, a couple fun conversations here. We will start with Dog's Red pitcher and outfielder, and we get into that, Noah Geeky. Very pleased to be joined by Noah Geeky from the Okotoks Dogs. As, uh, as we are talking, we're getting ready for Dogs v. Dogs tonight. Uh, Noah, I, I guess before we get into some of the more specific things, just kind of your thoughts on how the season's gone so far. Uh, yeah, so far, so good. I mean, it's been a lot of fun. Um, so far playing games against, uh, the other dogs team and the other teams, uh, from Alberta. Um, I feel like us as the red team, I feel like we're just kind of starting to hit our stride and I feel like, um, these games coming up here, we're really going to start to be successful. Obviously record wise could be a little better, but, um, I feel like everybody's kind of in a tight race for, um, the top spot. So I think it's going to come down to the wire with all five teams. So it's going to be exciting to see, but yeah, it's been lots of fun so far. For people maybe unfamiliar with you, give us a, a bit of a, a self-assessment on like a, a scouting report for Noah Geeky. Uh, yeah, so um, I do come uh, at the field uh, going both ways. I'm a pitcher and an outfielder. Um, kind of had a bit of experience of both so far this summer. Um, I've had a couple starts and a couple uh, relief ex uh, appearances and even a save in there and then uh, play mostly left field um, uh, and hit kind of middle of the lineup. Um, I like to take pride in both sides of the baseball field, whether that's defense, uh, offense, on the mound or whatever. I like to uh, help my team out any way I can. So, yeah, I kind of come at the field both ways. So, yeah, that's, that's about me. We've seen with, with Shohei Otani that there's maybe a bit more of an acceptance of playing both pitcher and in the outfield. Is this something you, you think that you would like to, to kind of carry on playing both the, the field and pitcher? Yeah, I mean, I've always said from, uh, from the beginning once I um, – took my path into baseball seriously. Um, and even when I got here, I want, I, I've told myself from day one that I want to be able to stay at two way as long as I can. Um, I feel like it keeps me athletic and keeps that athleticism there. Um, and definitely keeps me on my toes. Um, I'm not really uh, sitting around a whole lot. I got, I'm either working on my hitting or base running or defense, or I'm either working um, with my pitches on the mound and stuff like that. So I'm always kind of working to uh, improve and strive um, 
yeah, at both sides of the field. So that's the part that I love about it, and I want to keep doing it as long as I can. So it does kind of feel like it would just be nonstop, though. Like it's either, like you said, it's either the hitting or the pitching. Like there is always something going on, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And there's always stuff to improve on, and that's not just um, being a two-way. That's with everything, but even more with being a two-way because you have both sides of it. You have the defense. Um, you have the uh, swing. You have the offense. You have the um, and then on the mound, you have you always want to be consistent with uh, all your pitches and your arsenal and all that, and all that kind of stuff and defense on the mound as well. So uh, there's a ton of aspects that come into it, but yeah, it's definitely nonstop. And it's a lot of work, and I, I love doing it. So now for for university, it's Emporia State for you. What why why there? What was the what went into the decision making process to go there? Yeah, so um, out of high school, coming out uh, of the academy, I went to Barton Community College, which is a junior college also in Kansas. Um, Spent two years there and it was a blast there. Um, Emporia started talking to me my sophomore fall at Barton um, and they were with me there uh, 24-7. They were with me uh, through and through. Um, they were always there um, even from the fall all the way till I committed in I think May or June. So um, they never kind of gave up on me. They always um, had confidence in me. They gave me a shot and um, they were willing for me to keep being a two-way and that was one thing that uh, I didn't, that I was hoping to keep on doing that uh, some of the schools that I had talked to um, besides Emporia, other ones didn't offer. So um, they, scholarship wise, they gave me a great, um, great offer. Tough to say no, and it's a great spot. I'm happy where I am. Um, I think we're going to be good these next couple years. And yeah, it's a blast. So I loved it. It seems like COVID kind of got in the way of a pretty good season for you guys out at Barton when everything did kind of shut down. I think I saw 19-3 and three or something like that, which certainly doesn't suck. Uh, that's, that's a pretty good year. Um, I guess how frustrating is it that there wasn't a chance to kind of see that season through? Yeah, that one, that one was a tough pill to swallow for sure. Um, still kind of hurts thinking about it. Just kind of kind of that what if, you know, like we were 19-3. and three. I'm pretty sure we were 16th in the country at that point in all JUCOs and um, I'm pretty sure we won like 14 or 15 straight right. um, before COVID hit. And uh, yeah, it was a blast. Our team was unreal. Um, whether guys were in the lineup or not, we were a tight-knit group. Um, it was super fun. Uh, we had a really good, talented team. It would have been awesome to see where things could have went, but that was for everybody, right? So mm -hmm. it wasn't just us. Um, it impacted the entire world, and now I'm just glad that we're able to play now here at Seaman Stadium again this summer. So yeah. What was training like during COVID? Like, I would imagine, are you able to, were you guys able to come in here and kind of do, this facility is amazing, by the way. This is my first time really being in here. This is nuts. Like, if I had this when I played, I still would have sucked, but it would have been less. Um, were you guys able to, to use this facility more, or what was kind of COVID training like for you? Uh, yeah, so for the guys in the academy, I'm pretty sure that they were able to get in, um, but it was definitely in small groups, um, whether it was three or four, even individually, I think they were able to get in. And even I think when it was really locked down, I don't think guys were even allowed in here. Right. Um, but for me, I'm from Manitoba. So throughout the whole COVID uh, thing and when everything was super locked down, I was back home with my family. And luckily we, um, we have a gym in our garage. So we were able to do that. Nice. And then um, uh, I have two, two brothers, one older and one younger. They're both hockey players. So uh, it was nice to have them. We pushed each other and did all that. Um, and then obviously during the summer, it was kind of less restricted in Manitoba and even here too. So um, I was able to play a little bit, but um, definitely when it was kind of locked down, it was definitely tough, but definitely had the resources. So that was good too. Looking at other things throughout baseball, the big conversation you, from the half of your aspect of baseball with the, the pitching side has been the, the sticky stuff conversation. Uh, what have you made of this kind of whole controversy that's been going on in Major League Baseball, which has led to some hilarious things out on Baseball Diamonds over the last few weeks? Yeah, uh, it's been pretty crazy. Uh, for me, myself, I've never really kind of gotten into it. Um, I definitely have known that it's been kind of a topic of conversation, uh, especially lately. Um, I know that it happens a lot more than people think, right. uh, especially with pitchers in the pros and even college baseball, I know. Um, and I've definitely seen and witnessed a lot of uh, sticky stuff, as you, you'd say. But um, I don't know. I feel like there is – I feel like it does affect uh, some guys. But, I mean, um, to me, if your stuff's good, your stuff's good. If, if, like, to me, you shouldn't be relying on sticky stuff if you really believe in your stuff. So that's just my opinion. But, uh, yeah. Um, looking up kind of the, the stuff getting ready for the, the season on, on all you guys, the, one of the things that kind of amazed me was how many stats are available. Like, I could, I could see your spin rate on things, and, like, that, that, that's incredible to me. Do, do you go back, like, do you go and kind of look out some of your stats and, and see where some of your other things kind of rank with some other guys uh, around your age? 
Yeah, for sure. I feel like um, definitely nowadays analytics and stats and stuff like that are huge um, in uh, scouting and um, recruiting players. Um, I would say I look into it a little bit. Um, I'm not super into the analytics stuff right now. Um, there's stats out there that I don't even know what they mean, but um, they definitely uh, have an impact in today's game. And um, definitely here and there, I love to see um, uh, where I'm at compared to other players, whether it's college or even here uh, during the summer. There's a lot of technology um, that everybody has nowadays, even at school and even here, um, uh, top-notch like facilities and technology. So they have all that stuff for us to analyze ourselves and see where we're at. But yeah, it's pretty cool nowadays to see what everyone's got and all the different stats and uh, analytics that everybody looks at. So. Last one for you. Like I said, we're getting ready for dogs against the dogs tonight. You guys are all here. They're, they're, Team Black is represented on that chair right over there. Uh, <laughs> is there any rivalry or how, how good has the trash talk been between the two sides this year? Yeah, it's definitely very competitive. Um, it's, it's really fun. I mean, um, playing against the, the Black team, uh, obviously a lot of friendships um, uh, throughout both teams. Uh, I mean, I played with half their lineup or um, played against or even went to high school with a lot of them when I was here in the academy and they were in grade 10 and I was in grade 12 so uh, definitely a lot of friendships but definitely a lot of uh, competitiveness competitiveness sorry and I feel like uh, most times the, comp- or the friendships are put to the side and uh, it's definitely very competitive and uh, each game that we've had has been very close and um, very competitive I look forward to uh, playing them again and I'm pretty sure we play them like about five more times left for the summer so uh, yeah, unfortunately, they've kind of had our number so far, but I'm looking uh, looking to turn things around as a team today. So uh, I'm excited, and yeah, I'm looking forward to it. No, thanks for this. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Going to continue on with one of the stars of Dogs Black, Caden Zeroni. Very pleased to be joined by Caden Zeroni from the Okotoks Dogs Black side. Caden, thanks for doing this. Um, I guess first off, before we get into some of the specifics, just your thoughts on how the year has gone so far. I, I would say from the games I've seen and the stats that I've seen, I, I would say pretty well so far would be a, a pretty good way to sum things up for you. Yeah, yeah, it's been an awesome year so far. Um, we had a rough start in the start of the season, pretty young team, so it was a little bit weird playing in front of fans for the first time. Like, <laughs> even just a couple hundred, it was weird, usually we're not used to that, so... We're starting to get used to it. Teams coming to deck together a little bit, and yeah, it's been awesome. Give, for, for people who aren't familiar, give, give us a, a bit of a, a scattering report on, on Caden Zeroni. Uh, so I'm a center fielder. I usually hit top top two, three, or one, two in the lineup. Um, I like to I like to use my speed on the base pass a lot, and not even just on the base, like while I'm hitting and defense. So mm-hmm. I like to track down any ball I can, and yeah. Uh, you mentioned hitting first or second in the order. That was going to be my, my next question. That's basically exclusively where we've seen you so far this year. Do you have a preference, one or two in the lineup? Uh, not really. I used to really like leading off, but it just wasn't, wasn't really working for me early in the season. And uh, I've been starting to have a little bit more RBIs, hitting better with runners in scoring positions. So it's better if another guy can get on in front of me and then hopefully score him before that. Is the approach different, batting leadoff to, to number two? Uh, not really. I'm still trying to just get on base for my team in the first inning of the game. So it's still like I'm still going to get in that bat first inning because one, two, still three outs. So, yeah, I just like to get on as much as I can. And yeah. Now, doing the, the research and things like that for these games, one of the things I noticed is a lot of guys on the teams here, both you guys and, and Team Red as well, on that um, 18 and under BCS championship team, I think the tournament was in Florida. Um, I guess, first of all, what made that team so special that you guys were able to go out and win a championship in that event? That team was really close. It was, that was a special team. We were all, we were all tight. Like, it was awesome. Um, no matter who you were, you were part of the team, and you always had a role to like a role in helping win. So that tournament, it was a long tournament. We had a lot of games, and we were in Florida. It was hot, so everybody had a chance to play. Like that was when I first started uh, playing outfield, and I hadn't caught a game for a while. But I just had to go out and catch one of the games that uh, didn't really like matter as much as some of the other ones. So right. we had to give our starting catchers a rest, and so I had to go out there and catch a game for them. And yeah, it was it was awesome. How is catching in that? Like the all the equipment, it like it, it's hot here. I can't imagine what Florida was like. That that must have been a a, a very very uncomfortable day. Yeah, there's there's towels all over the dugout. <laughs> we had we had head we, we, first off they're actually arm sleeves and we made them into headbands, soaked them in ice cold water, and 
Yeah, it was crazy. There was, that's the most I've ever sweat in my entire life. So. Now, uh, like I said, that, that note came up for a lot of guys that they were on that team. Um, and now they're, they're, you guys are playing together and in some cases against each other as well. Um, that, that must be pretty cool to kind of graduate to this next level with a, a bunch of those guys you had a, a pretty cool moment with. Yeah, we've all had dreams of playing in this league and all looking forward to it all throughout high school. And now at the end of our high school career, get the chance to do it. And some of these guys, we got Jack Lines in grade nine playing in the league. So <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. It's awesome. It's an awesome feeling. Um, for, for you, the next step now is, is the Rough Riders with Crowder College. I, I guess why, why the decision to go there? Uh, I really wanted to go to a winning program and somewhere I can make an impact and stay winning with them. It's, and just the, the amount of times they've gone to the World Series, and just this year they made it into top four there in the World Series, the Juco World Series, and yeah, just that was one of my biggest things, and I wanted to go to a winning team just like I have here. I like winning, so. <laughs> it's pretty fun, hey? Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. Um, now, you're not going alone, right? Like, there's, Cazorla's uh, going, I think Asa House is, is, yeah. is there as well. Is that, that, that doesn't seem like it would be a mistake. Was there one kind of ringleader who's, okay, the three of us let's go or how, how did that kind of work out yeah so Dryden was there he was committed there first he actually committed in grade 11 and then he was gonna go in grade 12 and then he decided to reclass so then after that I was the next one and then Alejandro was just just shortly after me like a month after and he was I was part of his decision as well it was just nice to have another guy two or three four guys so yeah um, now, you guys are generally back-to-back in the order, you and Alejandro, either 1-2 or 2-3. Or um, the connection with the, the under-18 team, the connection with Crowder, are you guys pretty close, or is it just you guys just keep winding up on the same spot? Yeah, we're, we are really close. We've, we've been together for a while. We both came the same year to the Dogs program, and also in my grade 12 year, I billeted at his house, so I was with oh, him nice. for the whole year before COVID. So yeah, we've bonded pretty well, so... Um, I, I found, because you guys seem to play kind of similar styles as well, and early in the year there was kind of a, a race between you two for the stolen base lead, and you would get second and third, and then he would get on and get second and third. Um, it seems like he's pulled away because you keep hitting the, those pesky home runs. Um, but uh, how, how much competition is there between you two guys? Oh, yeah, it's always competitive. We always like to be better than each other, of course, in this whole program. But, uh, yeah, he's, def- he's definitely pulled away with the stolen bases. But <laughs> hopefully I can catch up by the end of the year. Right, yeah, and again, the, the, those home runs, it's tough to, to steal when you're just trotting around the bases the whole time. Um, out on the bases, you mentioned before that you want to use your kind of speed as a factor. It seems like when you get out there, you are, for lack of a better term, a distraction for the, the other team. Is that something you're aware of? Yeah, that's even just, like, our whole team is good at that with our base running. It, it opens up holes in the infield and can give each other hits, and yeah, it takes their mind off the hitter a little bit. Maybe they're going to throw a ball, throw a ball right down the middle, and then somebody's going to smack it, so... Um, I asked Noah this before, but how, how much of a rivalry and how much trash talk is there for, for Team Black versus Team Red, which is the, the matchup we're getting in a couple hours here tonight? Yeah, like you said, it's really competitive. We're all in here in the field house for, for a couple hours before the game, and we're all pretty much friends around now and whatever after the game. But once it's game time, they're just another team. We just right. got to go beat them. So, yeah. Is that weird? That, that feels like that would be a tough switch to, to be able to flip. Like, I, I was just drinking Gatorade with you 20 minutes ago, and now you're throwing 90 at me. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is weird. So, like, even in our locker room, we got, we got guys, like, on each team sitting right beside each other, and we're just hanging out talking. And then once you go to BP, then they go over to the core four uh, locker room, and then, yeah, that's about it. And then it's game time. It is weird. Caden, thanks for this, man. really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, so thanks to the dogs for setting those up. Probably not going to have any more this week. That'll probably be a later next week thing as I'm just, I'm off for this week doing dogs games. Uh, now it is time to close the show with today's ticket. We It's all baseball today because that's the only thing that's going on. We start with the Chicago White Sox taking on the Minnesota Twins. This is a, hey, don't overthink this one. The Twins are bad, the White Sox are good, and the White Sox have a guy who could win the Cy Young on the mound. That is an easy Chicago White Sox minus one and a half. Blue Jays taking on the Red Sox in a big series that I will certainly have my eye on. I like the over in this one. The Blue Jays hit the ball a ton and Ross Stripling is pitching and he, while he's been fine, he could get hit pretty hard. So, Um, I think I'm going to be blind betting a lot of Blue Jays overs this next run here. Uh, The team that the Blue Jays just kicked the shit out of, the Texas Rangers, they're taking on Detroit this week, and 
I like the Rangers in this spot. I don't like the Rangers as a team, but I don't think Detroit's very good either. And Kyle Gibson is the best pitcher in this game, so I will take the Rangers minus 110. Astros minus one and a half against Cleveland. Again, this is a don't overthink it. You have Zach Greinke, who is very good. You have Cleveland, who is very bad. I will take the Astros. It's been chalk so far, so let's go with an underdog pick. The Giants plus 117 with Kevin Gosman on the mound taking on the LA Dodgers. White Sox minus one and a half. Blue Jays, Red Sox over. Rangers minus 110. Astros minus a run and a half. Giants plus 117. Those are the games on today's ticket. And that is a show. Thank you very much to the Okotoks Dogs for setting up a couple of interviews today. Also, thank you to Tim Leeper for stopping by. Love talking baseball with him. I'm going to be bugging him a lot this summer. And thank you to you for downloading and listening today. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. If you have anything that you want to be addressed on the show, let me know on Twitter and Instagram. I am at primetimekline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. The music that you hear is provided by Wasted Talent. They got some new stuff out now. They are absolutely crushing it on YouTube and Spotify. So check out the new stuff from Wasted Talent. If you haven't heard enough from me, like I said, I do dogs games. My next games are this weekend. Uh, but you can check them out, dogsbaseball.ca and the Okotoks Dogs Academy YouTube page. Also, General History Podcast with myself and my wife. We Had No Idea comes out every Wednesday morning. You can find that show on Instagram at We Had No Idea Podcast. Had a blast doing the show today with you guys. Thank you very much for tuning in, and I will talk to you all later. I'm out.